0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. First John. The book of First John. It's at the very, very, very end of the Bible. First John, Second John, Third John, Jude Revelation is the order. This month we're gonna be looking at the book of First John. Everybody say first John. First John is so cool. This month, uh, is we always take a new subject per month, if you're new around here. First John is our book of the month. It's our topic of the month, I should say. Would you look at the very first uh, chapter, the very first verse? It talks about the word of life. Today we're going to be talking about life, L-I-F-E, life. It's going to be fun. 1 John one one kind of begins if you're if you're a New Testament scholar and you like the Gospel of John very similar beginnings you know why same dude writing it yeah that which was from the beginning John one one First John one one that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life the life appeared we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was the Father, which was with the Father and has appeared with us. Did you see that? It's kind of a play on the word life, that Jesus is the life, and he has given us eternal life. Verse 3 said, We proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, in our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we invite you in here. We invite you to to teach our minds, to open up our hearts and receive more of you. Right now, Jesus, we just thank you for the Mill Sunday School, what it is as far as just being a place where we could study your word, where we could learn from you in a place that, God, we just want to honor you. We want to bless you by what goes on here. So, God, we just praise you this day. We thank you. We love you. And everyone shouted, Amen. Amen. Man, there's some excited people in here. I like that. Um, I I just want to, that we don't usually talk about announcements very often, but there's one event the entire year that's better than any other event in the entire year that the Mill does, and it's called the Mill fall retreat. Yes, raise your hand if you're going. If you're not going, you really need to be peer pressured into going because everybody's doing it. everybody's going to fall retreat and you might think if you're newish around here you might think i don't know anybody i don't know if them i don't know what's going to happen up there listen the mill fall retreat is just like the mill for the entire weekend tons of fun tons of free time tons of just playing around but then tons of worshiping god awesome sermons the theme is thirsty and so if you're if you're even on the verge even like climbing up the fence thinking i might go you should definitely go it and i guarantee you you will if, you, if you're not sure that you, anybody else is going that you know, it doesn't matter. You're going to meet lots of new people. The friends that you'll meet at Fall Retreat, they'll be there your friends for the rest of your life. I guarantee it. It'll be awesome. So if you're thinking about it, you should go to Fall Retreat. It's really not that much money for what you get. You get the whole weekend, all your transportation, all your food. It's a sweet lodge. It's not like camping like in the middle of the woods. with like I don't know. It's going to be sweet. It's like a nice lodges. So there you go. Well, welcome to Mill Sunday School. This is a place where the nerds of the mill like to gather, right? Anybody a nerd? Yes, you are. You're all nerds in here because we like to get a little deeper into the Bible. We are nerds in a good way. We are Bible nerds. We are theology nerds. We love God, and we love studying him some more. And so today we're going to be looking at 1 John, uh, the book of 1 John, and uh, next week we won't be in the Mill Sunday School. Do you know why? Because we'll be up at Fall Retreat. So if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't want to miss Sunday school. I don't want to go to Fall Retreat because I'll miss Sunday school. That's silly. There's going to be no Sunday school. We're doing Sunday school up there. Evan Martin is teaching next week on Sunday morning. We're going to have a communion service up at, up at Fall Retreat. So no Sunday school next week. Everybody okay with that? Because we're going to be at Fall Retreat. There's good reason. And so this month, can you believe it? There's only going to be three Sundays this month. Sometimes there's like five. This week, this month, there's only three Sundays. There's three subjects in the book of 1 John. Light, life, and love. And it just so happens that there's three Sundays to talk about life, light, and love. It almost seems like it's been pre-planned, pre-ordained, doesn't it not? It does. Let me tell you a story. Uh, the this, this story's a little sad because uh, it's a little sobering, I guess, because it has to do with death. And as we talk about life this morning, that's what we're really going to talk about life we almost need to talk about death because in some ways death is a part of life and as a kid i remember um remember not knowing about death there's there's a certain point as a kid that you just kind of keep death the idea of death from them kids are playing you you don't need to tell them about that they're going to die someday <laughs> they're just you know there, there comes a point when they'll learn about it and when you need to tell them about it maybe when they ask about it is appropriate but I remember uh, as a kid in the kitchen r- kitchen uh, in front of this window eating breakfast. Dad was at work. Me and my brother were eating our uh, Wheaties and Cheerios, looking outside, watching some birds, these little chickadees, these little sparrows playing around so nice, frolicking on this little bird feeder. And then Mr. Big Bad Hawk comes swooping down. <laughs> Big Bad Hawk swoops down, grabs a chickadee right off of the, of the bird feeder, as you can imagine, a little kids would be frightened. But then on the trajectory of, of flying back up, the hawk, boom, hits the window, our kitchen window. <laughs> they were just they were like, oh, mommy. <laughs> we're seeing this whole thing. The good news is that the chickadee somehow got away in the, in the incident. The chickadee just flew away. And, and laying on the ground is this hawk with like legs up, belly, and little, little talons in the air. And, and of course, we're like, mommy, what happened? And we were too young to learn about death So of course she said, "It's just sleeping." The 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 hawk. It's just it's just sleeping. (laughs) But there came a point when I learned about death. And has anybody had a dog that's died? I I know it's sad. We had it was it was a big dog. It was the neighbor's dog actually that um, that would come over to our house and play with it. We had a small little like barky dog. But there was this neighbor dog. And we still don't even know which neighbor this dog belonged to. It was just like a, a dog, a big uh, la- golden r- Labrador. Is that what it is? It was It I don't know. It was like the big, like, I don't know. It was a big dog, like a golden, I think it was a Lab. Does that sound right? You don't even know. <laughs> I'm asking you. You're like, uh, I don't know. It was a big dog, really playful. In fact, we named, because we didn't even know who, who the dog belonged to. It didn't have a collar. We just named the dog Happy. And and it's because it was so happy. It was was winter, snow on the ground, and we'd throw the dog in the snow, and it would run, and we'd wrestle the dog and throw sticks, and the dog would go get it and come back. And it seemed like every day for, like, a month, this dog would just come over and play with us in the afternoon. And then at some point, the dog would leave, and we'd we'd do our homework and stuff. But we were outside playing one day, and we lived on a hill. And my mom and dad always said, never go out in the street because we live on kind of a hill, a country road. And and so you couldn't... Cars, cars would go by speeding down the country road. They, you couldn't see down this hill. We lived kind of at the bottom of the hill, so cars would come over pretty quickly, and it would be a dangerous place for kids to play. But Happy was in the road one day. And so we saw Happy get hit by a car and roll underneath the car, and it was a sad day. Has anybody seen a dog get hit? It's really sad. It's really sad. And for the first time, we saw that. My mom, and I think my mom was out there, and Happy got hit and then ran. As sometimes dogs are, get full of adrenaline, you know, as they're getting hit, and they run off. And you think, oh, they're going to be fine. The dog ran into the woods, but my mom said, don't go in the woods looking for Happy. He's going to go in the woods, and he's going to die there. And I thought for the first time, I don't remember how old I was, maybe, maybe six years old. I don't, I don't quite remember. But I remember for the first time thinking that life is going to end. That, that there's a sadness. I mean, if you've ever had a dog that's died, you know how sad it is. It's like a member of the family. And some of you, maybe even as a, as a kid, have experienced the death of a loved one. And it's really just a part of, it's the end of life. The death has to come to all of us. And I remember asking my mom, are you going to die someday? And my mom said, yeah, I'll die someday. I said, is dad going to die someday? And she said, yeah, dad will die someday. And I said, am I going to die someday? She said, yeah, someday you're going to die. Everybody dies. It's just a part of life. And it's sad. And here's why it's sad. Do you know the reason why it's sad? It's because we were never created to die. If you read Genesis, as we studied last month, we we were studying Genesis. If you look at Genesis, you will see that Adam and Eve were created to live forever in the garden, walking in the cool of the day uh, with God, walking with Him, talking with Him. They were never created to die. And then sin entered into the world, and also, death entered into the world. And so now, we all have to die because of sin, because the, the wages of sin is death. And what's so interesting about the passage that I just read is that life, it says, in verse 2, it says, Life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it that John, who was a disciple of Jesus himself, calls Jesus life. And then he says, Life appears, so, and, and the life came to this earth so that we may have eternal life. And we'll all die, and we'll all experience judgment, but we'll have eternal life because Jesus is life. Happy ending to a sad story, don't you think? Jesus gives us eternal life. Um, Life, light, and love. Those are the three subjects of 1 John. I thought I would ask this just in case, but I think there's some Greek scholars in here that know the Greek words for life, light, and love. Do you? Does anyone know the, word, the Greek word for love? Agape. agape. Lots of us know it. It's a really popular word in the New Testament. It's a really important word. In the last Sunday of this month, we'll spend the whole Sunday school talking about agape, what love is, and we'll get right into it. It'll be really sweet. Um, today, we're going to talk about life. Any Greek scholars know the Greek word for life? It starts with a Z. Zoe. Yes, I heard it twice. That's amazing. You know the Greek word for life, Zoe. What about light? Starts with a ph. I hear it, photo or photos is the Greek word for light. We're going to take these if you if you if you were to underline and highlight like does anyone like to highlight their bibles? Probably lots of you do because you're in the middle of Sunday school and you're kind of nerdy, kind of like me. I went out to the Christian bookstore and I literally spent like $10 on three highlighters. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, just because they're the kind that don't bleed through and they're amazing. But I went nuts with my Bible and I took three different colors for light, life, and love. And I, and I highlighted all the times that you see light, life, and, and love. And I just went nuts. It was so much fun. Because 63 times in this short five-chapter book, 63 times these words appear. Light, life, or love. They're the three themes of the book of John. So, are you ready to get into it? Now, this is the Mill Sunday School. We can't just go popping into the Bible, picking stuff out. That's just not how we do it. We like to do exegesis and hermeneutics. So before we talk about the book, we have to, we have to, because this is the Mill Sunday School, and this is what we do. We have to say, who is the author? who was it written to? What are some general themes of this sweet book? Are you ready? Who's the author? <laughs> oh, yeah. John, I'm going to move. The, do you hear the crackling? Does someone have Bluetooth on? Is someone pranking me? It's, so they keep saying that it's Bluetooth. I don't know. I'm going to put that right there. It stopped, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sweet. All right, uh, it was probably me. I mean, you guys might have done something, but I probably did it. <laughs> Anyways, um, actually, let's talk about who it was written to. Who was the book of 1 John written to? The audience of this book. Let me just tell you, if you, if you look at my Bible comes with study notes, and I, I like to read those before I get into any book of the Bible. And my study Bible says that this book was written um, kind of unspecifically to all of the early Christians in Asia Minor. Today, that would be Turkey and the churches in Turkey. We think that John could have been writing this book from Ephesus. Some people think he could have been writing this book like where he wrote the book of Revelation from. Do you know? the island of patmos we'll talk about that in a second so he was writing from one of these two places to the christians in asia minor we think that the book was written somewhere around 85 to 95 a.d is that a long time ago (laughs) duh that's a really long time ago we're like 2007 now it's like two thousand years ago almost so it's a really long time ago and so uh let's get into who john was do you know who john is yeah, this is. There's two Johns, actually. There's, and this is sometimes confusing. There's John the Baptist, and this John. John the Baptist is the dude that had the camel hair jacket. Do you remember that guy? Camel hair jacket, eight grasshoppers. What was he thinking? I don't know. He lived out in the woods. Um, he lived. Uh, he lived. He was called an Essene because he lived out in the woods. But people would go out into the woods to meet John the Baptist and be like, "Man, you're so weird, but you're so cool." And, and he would baptize people and wash them and cleanse them of their sin, preparing the way for the Messiah. And did you know that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? Did you know that story? You can read about it in, in the book of John, for instance. It's an amazing story that Jesus was baptized. In fact, we should all get baptized. You, who's been baptized? It's really fun. You should do it. It's a symbol that uh, you're dying in the water, and then as you come back up, you're born again. You're washed clean of your sins. That's what it symbolizes. And so, uh, and there's a, just in case you're wondering, I kind of talk about this to say that in two weeks at the mill, next week's fall retreat, no mill, no Sunday school. We'll all be at fall retreat. The week after that, we're having a baptism service. And so if you're at all thinking, man, God's been doing some awesome stuff. I kind of, I, I really want to get baptized in two weeks would be the perfect opportunity for you to get baptized. Really, really cool thing to happen in your life. And it's, it's a symbol of, of, of death and then of life, being born again. And so it's right in line with what we're talking about today. But John, John, not the Baptist, John the Beloved. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he's also the same dude that wrote the book of Revelation. Five books in the New Testament, all the same dude. Have you seen the thorn? The thorn, it has this narrator character named John the Beloved. That's the dude we're talking about. He's like, oh, I'm so old and I tell these cool jokes. <laughs> and and he, if you've seen The Thorn, that's the Easter production that New Life puts on. That's the dude that we're talking about. John the Beloved, not John the Baptist. He was um, John the Beloved. He's in The Thorn. He wrote Revelation from the island of Patmos. He is a fisherman. It says throughout the Gospels that... Uh, do you know who his brother's name was? Yeah, I heard it. James james and john the the sons of the sons of zebedee yes you all know this the sons of zebedee that james is always listed first it's always james and john so we think that james was the older brother and james was a little brother little brother kind of tagging along with james and they were fishermen it says um you could read about the story if you want in uh i think matthew the first chapter of mark actually has a pretty sweet story of jesus coming in to the Sea of Galilee, seeing some fishermen and saying, will you follow me? And of course, they do. You know what Jesus names them? They're the sons, James and John, sons of Zebedee. But Jesus calls them sons of thunder. I'm sure he called them sons of thunder because they were quiet, gentle, calm men. <laughs> Let me read for you a story. You can look at it. Uh, Luke chapter 9 Luke chapter 9, verses 51. This will give you a little insight to who James and John were. Specifically John. Because Hello? Okay, good. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken from heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers to go ahead, who went ahead into Samarian village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for jerusalem there was like uh, some racism as far as samaria and jerusalem were concerned then the disciples james and john the sons of thunder saw this they asked lord do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them jesus turned to them rebuked them <laughs> and they went to another village Could you imagine it God, can we call down fire and just blow them all up? Would you two please calm down? We're, I'm, I'm preaching about love here, and you want to call down fire and kill everybody. Calm down, sons of thunder. Can you see it? Two wild type men. I'm kind of just uh, making that up as I go along. But it does say that Jesus rebuked them, and they wanted to call down fire. There's this book. I think it's, it's, it has been made into a movie. However, I haven't seen the movie yet, The Perfect Storm. Have you seen the movie, read the book? Is it a good movie? No. It's, that's what I heard. I have never seen the movie. The book was amazing. The book was awesome. It gets into the very, what it was like to be a fisherman. And, fisherman, and this, the book was obviously written in modern times, so what it's like to be a fisherman today. But I think it really echoes into what it's like to be a fisherman anywhere. And first of all, it's really hard work. It's really, really hard work to be a fisherman. Not like casting poles, but like dropping nets. The cover of your skillet has... uh, We call it a skillet just for fun. It's like a Sunday school millet. Uh, The cover is like an ancient picture of Jesus calling James and John. And there they have uh, some nets. And you might think fishing is fun and relaxing and cool, but if fishing is your life, your business, then it's hard work. If, If catching fish means either... Um, living and and providing for your family or not, then it's hard work. You have to paddle out into the middle of a sea to catch fish. And there's no motorboats at that time. You have to actually paddle out, go out, hard work, stay up long days, be in the sun all day, working really hard. The nets get tangled. It's just hard work. And so hard work is a part of being a fisherman. In this book, uh, The Perfect Storm, it also said that the people that really love fishing are wild gambler-ish kind of people wild gambler ish kind of people and here's why because you could and the ships in the perfect storm they'd go out for about a month and fish and fish and cast it and bring their nets in and catch all these fish and then if they got into a storm the ship needs to be light and maneuverable and so the whole the whole of the ship is filled with with tons literally tons of fish and if if they get into a storm they have to be maneuverable and so if that happens, they would have to dump out all the fish that they caught. A month's work, uh, worth of work dumped out back into the sea and then they would have to return to the port with like a month of work. Oh yeah, we didn't catch anything. We had to dump it out because of the storm. And fishermen, and, and at least in the book as they were describing it, if, if that happened, the fishermen would make nothing. They didn't make an hourly ma- wage. They earned a, a set of the profits that came in when they brought it back to the harbor. But on a big month, this book was saying that if they caught a whole bunch of fish, filled the hole, then the fishermen returned to the port and they could make upwards of $50,000 in one month for one month's worth of work. It's just amazing. That's a lot of money, right? Is it? Yes, it is. And so $50,000 in one month. And sometimes fishermen are the wild, gamblerish kind of people. They don't even have homes, they don't even have apartments. They would just come back to a port city get a hotel i mean if you got 50 grand cash you can get stay in a hotel for another month rest up if you're not a christian if you're not a believer you start drinking prostitutes it's just kind of the the life of a fisherman someone that works really hard for a month and then comes back and has lots of money and parties or they come back and they have nothing to show for it and so it's kind of a gamblerish kind of lifestyle and so that's what i think of when i think of james and john and john is the author of this book but at the same time, Jesus calls James and John. And out of the 12 disciples, did you know that they fall into the three favorite disciples? Did you know that? Peter, when, when Jesus goes on the mountain of transfiguration, he only takes three disciples with him, his, his, some of his favorite disciples. Peter, James, and John. Peter and the brothers, James and his little brother John. And they're the ones that get to go up on the mount with Jesus, the three chosen out of the 12. Some of Jesus' favorite disciples. In fact, John, I don't know if this is a funny thing or a weird thing, but John, as he's writing the Gospel of John, calls himself the beloved, (laughs) the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's talking about himself. (laughs) I I think it's kind of funny. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe Maybe it really was that Jesus was always saying, where's the disciple that I love? Oh, there you are, John, the son of Zebedee, brother of James. You're the one that I love the most. Maybe he did that. I don't know. You're not supposed to do that if you're like a dad, though. It's like, oh, you're, you're the son that I love the most. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know. That maybe, I don't know why he did that. He just did it. So he's the beloved. And, and so the, the, the fisherman idea, I have this, this image in my head, uh, and you can read about it in, in, in the book of Mark, the first chapter, where Jesus is out walking along the lake of Galilee, and he sees two fishermen, and he says, come, follow me. And they just drop everything, and they do, Right? But there's something else you should probably know is that James and John were cousins of Jesus. At the the end of Jesus' life, as he dies on the cross, there's three ladies standing at the cross to to get Jesus' body and prepare it for burial. There's, of course, his mother, Mary, uh, the the Virgin Mary, his mother. There's Mary Magdalene, and there's some lady named Salome there. And it says in one of the other Gospels that Salome is the mother of James and John. And so, and it also says in one of the gospels that Salome is the sister of Mary, so Mary, the mother of Jesus, they're sisters. So that would make James and John the cousins of Jesus. Now I don't know about you, but today our cousins, my cousins, are in California, Texas, Ohio, and New York. I, I've seen them a couple times, but I don't hang out with them. I don't know them very well. In the ancient times, it'd be very likely to live with your family and even like right next door, or even maybe attached in building to your extended family. So did Jesus, James, and John all know each other from, from growing up? I think it's, it's more than likely that they all knew each other. They know who Jesus wa- was. They knew that he was a rabbi. As Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and calls them, I think sometimes the lesson is, oh, it was just a great amount of faith that they had. They laid down their nets, and they just immediately followed Jesus and turned back, turned away from their life of fishing and just immediately turned to jesus but i think there's also another lesson the lesson that a fisherman wasn't a great job they weren't landowners they weren't business owners they weren't um royalty they weren't uh, political leaders they weren't religious leaders and a religious leader in a jewish town like galilee or nazareth a religious leader like a rabbi would have been the most popular person would have been the person that, oh, he's got the greatest job in town. He's the rabbi. Everyone loves him. Everyone respects him. Man, if someday I could be like him and be the rabbi of this town or village, I would be the bomb diggity because rabbis were the bomb diggity back then. And so here's how you get to become a rabbi. You study really hard up until the age of 10. And if you're really, really good memorizing the Torah, if you can get the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized, you'd be a good student. I mean, memorize. Did you just hear what I said? Memorize. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And blah, 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 and then, like the whole thing, the whole, all five books. I don't even have the first verse memorized. The whole By the age of 10, if you had that memorized, you would be a great student. And you could go on to the secondary school where you'd memorize the rest of the New Testament. And if you could memorize the rest of the New Testament, and you were like the cream of the crop, the best student of all the best students around the age of 16 A rabbi would come and visit you and say, who's the best, best student here? Would would one of these students like to to join me as a disciple and follow me and, and learn about the ways of being a rabbi so that they too might become a rabbi someday? And so you have to picture this inside the people's heads, that the way to become a rabbi is to be a rabbi's disciple. And so picture this. As Jesus is walking around, he's a rabbi. Maybe the best rabbi, I mean, from our perspective, obviously the best rabbi that's ever walked the face of the earth. But even to the Jewish people, it says that Jesus knew the scriptures inside and out when he was just a little kid. He was an amazing rabbi. And he yet did not yet have any disciples under him. And yet he's walking around the Sea of Galilee and picks two dirty, wild fishermen and says, would you too like to be my disciples? That's how I kind of see that story. It's another look at it. And, of course, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm just a fisherman. I'm dirty. I I stink. I like fish. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Of course I will drop everything and, and be a rabbi, be someone that's honored and revered, and be under you who's one of the best rabbis. Can you see that? And so it's almost as if the book of 1 John is written by some uneducated fisherman. Because it is. The book of 1 John is so simple, in it's Greek. If you're, if, has anybody ever studied Greek? If you go to seminary, or there's a few of you that, that have studied Greek, the book that you've probably started off with was one of the writings of, of John, either the Gospel of John, 1 John, or Revelation. You probably started in those books because they're so stinking easy, because the Greek is so simple. I mean, he takes these three themes, life, light, and love, and he writes five chapters about them. It's pretty easy. It's pretty simple. God uses this simple fisherman dude to present the greatest thing that could ever happen to any of us: eternal life. Isn't that sweet? How God can use someone like that? Everybody say, "Yes, it is." <laughs> All right, let's look at um, let's look at life real quick. I, I, I told you this the the sad story of the dog dying. I apologize if that upset you. If your dog just died or something, that'd be horrible. You probably would have had to leave crying. Um, uh here here's here's a lighter side of death uh uh <laughs> these are last last words that people say before, right before they die uh dude look at me <laughs> it's not that high i'll get a world record for this i bet what does this button do are you sure the power is off the odds of that happening got to be a million to one this is one of my favorites could have been applicable to this morning I'll get your toast out. (laughs) This one's fun. What duck? And then this is by far my favorite. He's probably just hibernating. (laughs) Someone calculated this. If we live 70 years, then 23 at the timing of your life, like breaking it down into hours of what you usually do, um, sleeping is 23 years, 32% of our life. Working is 16 years. 20, uh, 22% of our life. Watching TV, 8 years, 11% of our life. Eating, we spend 6 years eating, um, 8% of our life. Traveling, it says the same. That like we, In our car, I think traveling, all included traveling. 6 years, 8% of our life. Leisure, I guess anything could fall into that. 4.5% of our life, 6, 6% of our life, 4.5 years. Illness, we spend 4 years, 5% of our life in illness, uh, laying on the couch because we're sick uh this is weird two per, two years of our life 2.8 percent dressing ourselves and then th- listen to this one the average person <coughs> that averagely lives 70 years old um only spends 0.5 percent of their life in religion either going to some sort of church reading some sort of I and mean, this is all religions only 0.5 percent only uh excuse me only 0.5 years only 0.7 percent of their life is spent, in some sort of the average person in some sort of religion, and our life is defined by what we do with, with, with our Creator. Would you look at First John chapter four, verse sixteen and 18, Sixteen through eighteen. First John chapter four, verse sixteen says, uh, "Let's see where are we." And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. Do you see it? How the light. The, in this sentence alone, there's. Two times he uses the word life. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think almost ten times he uses the word love. That life and a full life is all about love. Love for God first, and then out of that love comes a love for people. And so I kind of want to change topics just real quick on you. Are you okay with that? You okay with a quick one? I want to ask you a question. I, and it's, it's somewhat up for debate, and we'll talk about this in just a second. But the question is, as far as life, we often think about what brings a full life. You're like, well, maybe being good brings about a full life. Would you think about this question real quick? The question is, can you, after becoming a Christian, live a perfect, sinless life? Think about it. There, there's, there's two extremes, obviously. Yes and no. And then there's some land in the middle of what that really looks like. Would you take just like 60 seconds and discuss at your tables what you think, whether you can or cannot, after being a Christian, live a totally perfect life, Like perfect as in perfect. No sin whatsoever. Could you discuss that for like 60 seconds? Ready, set, go. Maybe you should. All right, should we uh, talk as a group really quick? This, uh, This is a big room. There's probably like 100 people in here. But is someone bold enough to stand, you kind of have to stand because we wouldn't be able to hear you. You all have to stand and say, here's what I think, here's why. And before I say that, there's really, there's, 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 there's two extremes, obviously. You have to sin and that you can't sin. These are the way I think about it, at least. And there's some middle ground. It is, it's not like a, an issue like uh, Jesus is Lord. There's not like a correct and an incorrect answer this is It's up for kind of a discussion. Is everybody clear on that? So don't like attack someone physically and beat them up if they have a different idea. <laughs> not that you would. I just thought I had to say it. you know. In case it happens, I'm not responsible. You can't sue me. All right. Does someone want to share? Yes, please. Okay. So there has to be sin in order for Christ to forgive us. That sin in ourselves... We recognize that we need a savior. You would say, "Okay, sweet." But what at, what about after you're a Christian? Can you can you stop from sinning altogether? Yes, sir. Right, <clears throat> we do so, so. in other words, you would say, "In uh, in other words, we we could do something that maybe we're even unaware that it is a sin. Like, oh, I didn't know it was wrong to kill somebody. I just didn't know." that would be that's a bad example because obviously you know that was wrong uh, but something that that maybe God is calling you to do and you, you don't do it something that's sinful that you do or don't do and it's a sin but you're not even aware that it's a sin good point yes I saw a hand over here would you like to share yes sir so're we're, ju- we're still fighting sin because we live on a dark dirty earth three so so far all three have said it you 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 still do sin. It's it's not really possible to live a perfect life. Anybody on the other side, Big Bill. You can choose to be perfect with God's grace and God's power, not not of your own. Yeah, it's good. Who wants to argue with Big Bill? <laughs> yes, Logan. Would you please share as well? Oh, Ooh, that's good. You know, there. It, being sinless isn't like you're sinless, but being sinless is a process of becoming living. It's possible, you'd just say. It's possible to live a sinless life through God, through Jesus. Do you see the two, do you see the two sides? And nobody's going to hurt anybody, right? There are two various sides. And this is Sunday school. This is where we think deeper. I'm not just going to give you the answer because, I mean, frankly, there isn't from the Scripture. Actually, I'm going to give you some verses from the book of John. To the people that would say it's not possible and that it's possible, two differing perspectives, both go to the book of First John and pull out stuff and say, Look, it says right here. And then someone will say, No, you idiot, look right here, it says this. No, you're so dumb. Look at this. There's verses in first John that seem to be saying both sides of the equation. Would you like to would you like to see them? Um, first off, I, I would say that here, here's the extremes. If you're if you're writing notes, and that's what really the skillet is for, for your notes, um, a perfect life. You might want to draw this. Uh, I guess continuum. I'll move my chair so you can see it. I'll write a little bit more. One continuum would say, you have to, you have to sin. You you're you're a slave to sin. Even after knowing Jesus, you're still a slave to sin because because you're on this earth, and this earth is dark and it's dirty. And, and I knew a guy that, that uh, was a Christian. He came from a Christian background, really knew his Bible really well. But he argued with me one time and said, we're, we're slaves to sin. It says that in here, that, that we have to sin. And he was a guy that he smoked and he, and he drank to get drunk. He had girls over at his house overnight. He was sleeping around. And his, his argument was, we live on earth. Christ is about forgiving us of our sins we have to sin. It's just the way it is. I can't help myself. And that's just, everybody say that's dumb. It's, it's more than dumb, and it's an extreme way over here. I mean, so, some of you talked about the, the fact that we, this is the middle, the exact middle, by the way, because I'm an expert drawer. Um, some of you were saying it, it, it's we live on earth, and, and it's just, the, like you said, we sin sometimes. We don't even know that we're sinning you would be here, not way over here. This is an extreme that says we're, we're still slaves to sin. That's a dumb idea because it says that you're slaves to sin until you're born again. Then you're slaves to righteousness, right? Amen to that. Then there's another extreme that's way over here that says not only is it possible, people, people that were saying, yeah, it's possible to live a perfect life in Jesus are right here. There's an extreme way over here that says if you do sin, then you lose your salvation every single time you sin. We're called to not sin. You can't sin and still be called a Christian. If you sin, you're going to lose your salvation and you have to ask for your salvation back because you messed up and you sinned. I knew a guy that... Uh, I was in Florida for a, a summer and uh, I, was, I was living at this church and kind of ministering and helping out there. And uh, every Wednesday we'd have this big dinner and for college kids like a $2 dinner right on Florida State's uh, campus. So lots of kids would come to the church and have dinner because you can get sweet dinner for two bucks. And so there was this guy there that was a Christian, and he was like a street evangelist, and his thing was these big signs that said, Jesus loves you, and he would just shout on the streets and, and, and tell people about Jesus. But he said, his theology said, I, you cannot sin or else, <coughs> or else you're going to go to hell or else you're going to lose your salvation. And he said, I haven't sinned in five years. And he said, the last time I sinned was, I don't, I don't remember what he said. He said, I haven't sinned in five years. I was like, wow. And so we kept on talking. Then, of course, um, after dinner, we played foursquare Because <laughs> you have to. I mean, it's just part of the way that church works. Um, <clears throat> which, by the way, we're having a four square tournament at the fall retreat. It'll be, it'll be really fun. Anyways, uh, we, the foursquare is an international thing. We were playing in Florida at this church and we were playing foursquare, square, and, and somebody set me up for a nice big serve, and so I just gave it to this guy. <laughs> I just, like, cranked it right at his feet, and it bounced off, and he went off the deep end. He said, I'm not out. You're out. God, I hate this. You're out. And he just blew up in anger. And so, of course, I'm being the funny, you know, lighthearted person says, well, you better go repent from that. And he just, <laughs> so much for five years, huh? and he of course he just blew up on me again and and the the danger listen carefully the danger in that type of thinking is that he didn't think that that was a sin he wasn't going to repent and blowing up in anger and and he said god i mean that's blasphemy he needed to repent of that even if you know if if it wasn't at least to god just for getting angry and yet he said that's not a sin to do that um and and so he was he was saying it's I don't need to go and repent, and so here's here's some verses for you. First, some verses on um, uh, let's see, I think so, first some verses on. I'm confused. Yeah, first some verses on this side of the spectrum that it's possible. No, excuse me, have to sin. Wait, can't sin. This is it's possible. <laughs> possible to live sin less, and this is it's not. Really possible. Possible. Here's some verses for it's not really possible to live without sin. 1 John 1, 8 through 8-10 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, like maybe, I mean, it's I don't want to pick on that guy too much, but the Foursquare guy. Uh, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be, Jesus, out to be a liar. And the word has no place in our lives. And then it goes on, um, chapter 2. My dear children, I, I write this to you so that you will not sin. It's possible not to live to live a sinful life. It's poss- uh, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you see that? So I write this to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, Jesus has come to cleanse us of all our sin. Almost both sides right there. Do you see it? Do you see it kind of playing back and forth? Um, here's one more verse, actually, two more verses. Let me give them. These are both for it's possible to live. A sinless life after knowing Jesus. First John five, turn over a few pages. First John five eighteen. Says that we we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Do you see it? The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. How far did I want to go? Let's see. Yeah, so verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true even in His Son, Jesus Christ. But you see the first part of that. Verse 18 says, Anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Let me give you one more for that perspective. 1 John 3, verse 6. <coughs> this, is, this is the big one. This is like the booyah one. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or known him. Do you see it? That one's like the, the big one for that, for that perspective. And I think I, I, this falls into a teaching about life. Because life is not so much about, and, and hear me clearly because this might sound weird to you, but I don't think life is about just avoiding sin. I don't think that life is like, maybe to take the bad example of the four-square dude that's just like could justifying what he does by saying, oh, yeah, I'm not sinning because I'm perfect. I'm trying to win my own salvation. That's not how salvation works. Salvation does not work by you trying to live a perfect life so that you don't need God. Life is about recognizing your Creator, recognizing that you do, in fact, need a Savior, that you can't, that you have not, lived a perfect life. And that once you're saved, I think sometimes you need to constantly be reminded of that fact that you need Jesus. And that reminder comes through sin in a bad way, but it also comes through trying to be made perfect. You can't do that without the Father's love inside of you. You can, you just can't be, you can't live sinlessly without God inside of you, obviously, right? Right. The, this last week, as, as, as many of you, uh, who goes to the mill in here? <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, probably everybody. If you haven't, it's Friday nights. It's pretty sweet. Um, Aaron Stern has been on an amazing sermon series, right, called What's Your Secret? He's been talking about dark, sinful things that we do in secret behind closed doors. And he's talked about how we need to bring those into the light. In fact, not next week because it's fall retreat, but the week after, the whole subject is going to be, we're going to talk about light, how First John talks about light. But the, the, within the last two weeks, I, I think this is, some of you might see it as a sad thing, but I see it as a glorious thing that, that people have come out of the darkness into the light. That's in this last week, six dudes, six guys, because I'm the mill pastor, uh, this, one of the associate pastors, excuse me, of the mill. I meet with lots of guys throughout the week. And six guys have come to me throughout this one last week and said, Joe, I've been struggling with pornography. I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I love Jesus but behind closed doors in the dark i've been looking at things that i know i shouldn't and that my friends is 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 about sin being taken into the light and some of those people had never told anyone before ever and they were taking that dark side of their life behind closed doors and saying i'm going to tell someone i'm going to i'm going to open up the door i'm going to bring it into the light and i think that is what life is all about it's about receiving forgiveness It's about bringing things in the darkness, into the light. And I've seen it. I've I've seen it a lot. I've seen uh, alcoholics, people addicted to alcohol. I have personally known alcoholics. I've personally known drug addicts. I have personally known sex addicts that have gotten free in Jesus Christ by the authority of Jesus Christ in their life. It's totally 100% possible to overcome sin. And that's not what this debate is about, whether we're on the side of, uh, it's not really possible to live a totally perfect life or whether it's, it's possible to live a sinless life. We're not talking about the sins that we're in. There is no justification for sins if someone says, oh, I do this because I have to. I do this because I'm addicted. Jesus Christ can break any addiction. It's a matter of telling someone and bringing it into the light, even in the secular sense. You know Alcoholics Anonymous? Totally a secular idea, a secular program. I think it had Christian roots, though, it's, it's a program that, that gathers people together and they bring their dark secret life in, onto the table and say, I'm an alcoholic, I, I just had a drink last week, blah, blah, blah. And they bring the, the dark secret life into the light and they're, and they're healed. And God saves them, even in the secular sense. That's how accountability works. Prayer works. A relationship, as Aaron talked two weeks ago, a relationship with God the Father, Dad, is how people are brought from the darkness into the light. And so don't get us wrong today if we're, if we're discussing the idea of is it possible or is it not possible to live a totally sinless life after you're saved. There is, there is, there is salvation from sin. There is no, we are not slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. Right? Amen to that. I want to end with this, with this verse. Would you turn to First um, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And this is about overcoming. Because we are overcomers. On Friday we sang that song. Isn't that a sweet song? It's amazing. And it says this. First John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Loving God. Carrying out His commands. Loving God first, and then carrying out His commands. Overcoming sin. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Say yes! Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Do you know? It says it right there. It's a question. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he or she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we will overcome life. We will overcome death. We will overcome sin through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for this book that You've given to us. We thank You for John that really lived on this earth as a fisherman. And You used his simple life, His simple way of communicating to reveal amazing, glorious truths about life, about life eternal. And God, we just thank you for that. We are overcomers, and we thank you for that, Jesus. We praise you. We love you. We walk in your glory. We walk in your light. We walk in your love, and we walk in your life. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you. We leave here as overcomers, and we praise you, God. Everyone said, Amen.